Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And welcome into another edition of Mile High Magazine. I am Murphy Houston. And today joining me is Linda Olson, the Development Manager of Inner City Health. Or as her friends call her, the Queen. I told you I was going to do that. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> well, welcome to Mile High Magazine, uh, Linda. Uh, tell me more about Inner City Health Center. I, I mean, I've been in Denver a long time. I, I, I've never heard of it. Well, we were actually founded in 1983. So, um, And we were founded originally to provide exclusively quality medical care for those who are uninsured. And as we've grown, we've added dental care. We've added Medicaid, Medicare, CHP for the kiddos, and veterans. Wow. So you're serving all kinds of people. Yeah, and and we're not geographically restricted. That's really important to know. So we have people come up from Parker, uh, Greenwood Village, which is in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Um, The foothills, everywhere. Well, where are you located? We are at 3800 York. Okay. In Denver. Okay, it's kind of downtownish. It's just south of I seventy. Right, right. That well, that's an easy area to get to. Um, from the south, yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> no kidding, it's really easy. So let's talk more about how you serve the veterans because that's kind of what our focus is a little bit today. I know you got a big event coming up and it involves a dentistry. We'll talk about that, but let's talk more about how you serve veterans overall. Um, that sounds great. Uh, medical on the medical side. We are an approved provider through the CHOICE Act to refer or receive referrals from the VA of uh, VA medical um, patients. And so how that works is if a VA medical patient can't get in to see his or her provider within 30 days, they can ask to be referred to us. Is that right? Yeah. I never knew that. And But on the dental side... We've been serving veterans for years because unless they're 100% disabled, and there are a bunch of other restrictions too, they are not eligible for VA dental benefits. What? Yeah, (laughs) seriously, seriously. And honestly, I was reading the restrictions the other day, and I'm like, holy cow. How do they get anything done, you wonder? Well, yeah, and so a lot of veterans, they neglect their dental care, which affects their overall health. Sure, it does. Um, So we are really committed to bringing them back into health and maintaining that dental health, just like we would any other patient. Right, right. And so these veterans, are they from all, like, how far back, World War II? Yeah, we haven't seen a World War II veteran. I th- no, I lie. We have seen a World War II veteran. Um, I don't recall seeing a Korean War veteran, um, but lots of Vietnam era veterans. And now we're starting to see Desert Storm veterans. Yeah, that's early 90s now. Right. And there was some sort of nasty chemical warfare that happened to those guys and so they're just starting to realize the ramifications in that veteran's health. Wow. Took that long, huh? Yeah. To kind of catch up with what's going on Pretty with these much. poor guys. Pretty and, much. And these are men and women veterans yes. you're dealing yes, with, sir. correct? Yes. Well, that's good. Do you have veterans on your staff over there? Did we you? do. We do. We have um, four veterans and our COO, our chief operating officer, is a veteran. He was actually an Army medic in Vietnam. And you've got personal commitment to veterans. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. I'm married to a Vietnam veteran. My son's a veteran of the War on Terror. Um, my dad was a Korean War veteran. Wow. My uncle was a World War II veteran. And my grandfather was a World War I veteran. Well, I think you've about covered them all. Pretty much. And we pretty much have all of the branches covered, too, in my family. Is that right? Well, yes. there's a bit of pride there, I would imagine. <laughs> and how's your husband doing? I mean, I'm a I'm a Vietnam-era kid. I didn't go to Vietnam, but I was living that time. I had to go through the uh, draft physical process and flunk because of some sports injuries, so I didn't have to go. A lot of my buddies did, like yeah. your husband. He, uh, this is kind of creepy, but 
he caught a parasitic colitis over there. Oh. And almost died. And so they had to medevac him out uh, back home. I didn't know him at the time, but there are all kinds of uh, continuing ramifications in his digestive issues and COPD and just a lot of different issues. One of my favorite Vietnam veterans said that they have determined that his cirrhosis is due to Agent Orange. Oh, geez. That's tough to see, isn't it? I know. Yeah, it really is. I know. And you're dealing with these men and women every day? Yeah, I am. Um, every time a veteran comes in, they call me, and I slide down the banister and and say hi. Good for you. Put a smile on their face? Well, yeah, and I. <laughs> it sounds weird, but I talk veteran, and not everybody does. Explain that. Um, because I have personal connections to veterans. I know what to say and how to listen and how to respond. And that's really important. Oh, I would imagine yeah. it would be highly important. And and just the respect that they're due. Yeah. Talking with Linda Olson, Development Manager, Inner City Health Center. Talk to me a little bit about Homefront Heroes. <laughs> what is it? As if I didn't have more to do. Uh, yeah. Homefront Heroes is an all-volunteer nonprofit Our mission is to empower ordinary Americans to support the troops and their families and support veterans and their families. And so because we're all volunteer, we don't get paid. Right. And that's why we have some extra money to support this effort. And I've always wanted to do it. So what an honor to be able to do it. And what kind of support are you offering then? So, um, Home Front Heroes is paying outright the cost of the dental screenings, uh-huh. which is $60 per patient. So, this is not your typical free dental care. This is serious, thorough assessment of one's dental health right. and how to, um, how to treat that to bring it back into health. It's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then after the screenings, um, hopefully we'll still still have some funds left, and we will help those veterans pay for their treatment. We have a myriad of other ways to help veterans and all patients pay for their treatment. Right. Well, let's just back up a couple of steps, because that's kind of our focus today, because you have a big event coming up, uh, dental screenings for veterans. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. It is a free dental screening for veterans on May 3rd. So what the veteran needs to do is go on to our website, which is innercityhealth.org. Right. And on the homepage is a link to the veterans uh, component. So that's where you'll find the registration forms and they are being treated like any other patient they fill out their registration form they bring it in they're a new patient they schedule their appointment for may 3rd and we're good to go and are you doing that at your facility the inner city health center yes. that's where the uh, screenings are going to be yes. held not at separate dentist office around no, town no sir and our dental director dr luke johnson has been superb in supporting this effort so do dentists come in from all over? Is it more than one dentist and, and, and some help, like a nurse? or? And the dental clinic, sorry. And the dental clinic, overall, we have volunteer dentists and hygienists and assistants. For this day, whomever is on the schedule will be taking care of the veterans. So it, I think we have two dentists on the schedule, um, two of our paid staff dentists, and then a myriad of hygienists. And it's an all-day event. Yes, sir. And I would think that if you want to get on board this, it's because May 3rd's not that far away, you better get into the website and get your appointment made. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we want to do is we want to see that day filled up because if it fills up, we might do another day. Oh, sure it is. So this is a free veterans listening, men and women, free dental screening. Now, if you need work, and probably if you haven't had any work in a while, you're going to need work, what's the next step? You mentioned there's some funding for some serious dental work? 
Um, there is. And what part of the screening involves is they will have a treatment plan. And after that, they will come meet with our financial advisor who will exhaust all of the different options that we have at Inner City to help them pay for that treatment. And then we'll figure out where that might be coming falling short. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, the VA kind of you work with them on occasion. Will the VA help with any of this dental mm-hmm. screening and helping the veterans get the work they need? No, not unless they're 100 percent disabled. Nope. No dental work at all. Nope. Oh, it doesn't seem doesn't seem possible. So does the dentist that you're working with, the veterans, once they do the screening, they're not the same dentist that'll do the work that might need to be done. Oh, in. probably. Is it? Oh, probably. At your location. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. They just have to get the funding. The veterans have to get the funding to pay the yeah. dentist. And we're very strategic about it, too, because um, we don't want the, we, we don't want to sell them a bill of goods. We don't want them to come out of the um, chair and say, you owe $20,000. Yike. Um, so we yeah. are very strategic, and they they become partners with us to design their treatment. And it could take a short amount of time or a long amount of time. Yeah. It's whatever the case exactly. might be. Exactly. Well, that's a, that's a good thing you're doing that. Is this the first time you've done this? This is the first time we've done this. And how's the registration going so far? Are you, you know, kind of surprised? Is it good, bad? It's not particularly good, I'll be honest with you. It's been very slow. And um, so, but increasingly, like, for instance, if they hear your show, then we'll get a lot of calls. Well, that's the whole idea while we're trying to help you here today. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get the word out. Amen to that, brother. Oh, yeah. Um, so we are a faith-based clinic, and I'm a Christian, and I'm just trusting God that he will bring us those veterans who most need us. Well, let's hope that if even if you're not a veteran and you're hearing this conversation right now, maybe you know of one. That exactly. You can go and say, hey, I'm hearing about this free dental screening thing they're doing at Inner City Health Center. You need to get involved with that. Absolutely. Um, a spouse. And if the spouse needs training on how to be a naggy spouse, <laughs> I, I'm here to help you. But it's a good nag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just ask my husband. Yeah, <laughs> For sure. Well, Linda, I think it's a, a great opportunity for veterans and this is veterans only because i know you help other folks as well at at inner city health center absolutely but this is strictly for veterans yes this is screening day this free screening day is only for veterans it's good you're getting the word out like this too well thank you murphy for helping me do that well we got a little time here let's go back again because you know people listen with half an ear and go oh gosh that's i need that how do i get involved again what do i have to do Tell us. So it's pretty easy. Um, you go onto our website, which is inner, I-N-N-E-R, org, And on the right-hand side of the homepage, there is a link for the veterans information, including the registration paperwork. So they can download that, fill it out, bring it in, or scan it and email it in and make their appointment. Do you, obviously you must, do you respond back to that request by saying, good, you're in, confirmed. Here's your appointment time. Uh, Yes. Uh, We have them call us so we can schedule the appointment. And then the day before, we call and and confirm appointments. Cool. You're on your game over there, Linda. You're getting (laughs) that job done. I love that. Any other events coming up uh, that involve uh, the veterans out there that we might mention? Um, Well, Home Front Heroes is always a co-sponsor of the Memorial Day tributes. No, and that's coming up as well. Yeah, and this is a really important um, event. It's been going on for I don't know how many years, and um, we honor the Gold Star parents, the parents who have lost kiddos. And um, I call it the This But By the Grace of God Go I event. Yeah. Um, I like that. So, <laughs> That's really good. You know, we, here again, it's all volunteers. We get donations uh, for breakfast. Um, I'm singing this year, which is really an honor. Oh, and, good for you. Congratulations. And so, um, you know, 
it's just, it's an honorable thing to do on Memorial Day, while Memorial Day weekend, while everybody else is getting silly. Yeah, I got that. Linda Olson, Development Manager, Inner City Health Center. Congratulations, and thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Murphy. Thank you for listening to Mile High Magazine. More on the way. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. Columbine High School, April 20th, 1999, to the Denver March for Our Lives, March 24th, 2018. Show me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. Show me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. In the 19 years between Columbine High in Jefferson County and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in Florida, the Washington Post reports over 187,000 kids have been exposed to gun violence at 193 primary and secondary schools, leaving 130 kids, educators, staff, and family members killed with 254 injured. This is why many are now saying enough is enough. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. On August 24th, held in over 800 communities across America and on five continents around the world, it mobilized over 2 million youth and adults for the event March for Our Lives. On this edition, we share the insights, viewpoints, and the spirit of young adults Shannon, Evan, and Andreas among the key principles of the team Never Again Colorado. Now, your mission is to really to end, if I'm correct, to end all school shootings? I mean, it's, it's to end all gun violence if we can. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, this is a problem that doesn't just happen, you know, in the, in the halls of schools. This is something that happens uh, on the streets and neighborhoods every day. This affects people of all sorts of different creeds, colors, backgrounds, uh, and orientations, you know. Mm -hmm. um, school shootings, yeah, we want to put an end to them, but we also we want to put an end to the everyday shootings that take place in, in, in neighborhoods throughout the state and throughout the country as well. Yeah. Absolutely. We yeah. want to address issues like police brutality, mm -hmm. um, all sorts of issues like that. Uh, Never Again is forming a racial justice commission mm -hmm. to focus specifically on gun violence issues within uh, you know, racialized communities. So that's something really important that we want to address. Uh, school shootings are obviously really terrible, and school shootings are sort of what what gave this movement its momentum and brought it to life. But gun violence is about a lot more than white kids in schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're working especially on dealing with the mental illness aspect of um, gun violence here in the United States, uh, especially with suicides. Um, as, as Evan and Shannon have both said, it's it's a very multifaceted issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, school shootings have, is what's given us our momentum and what's pushed the country forward. Um, but we need to look at all of all parts of the issue um, and acknowledge the fact that it does uh, disproportionately affect those with mental illness and those from um, impoverished backgrounds and those who aren't stereotypically um, Caucasian. Um, so it's, it's more about ending gun violence and all of the damage that it creates um, mm -hmm. in our neighborhoods, in our society. Following the shooting incident at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in Florida, when coupled with similar incidents at Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut and Columbine in Colorado, it is a valid concern regarding kids feeling safe at school. It, it's, it's a hard one because it's, I think, what I, what I feel, and the best way I, I was talking with the professor about this, is that the fact that I, I know in the back of my mind that it's not entirely far-fetched that some sort of tragedy could occur. It, it's not something, it's not a, a what-if possibility. It's something that, you know, I think about like, okay, well then, if it does happen, here's what I am going to do. I have that thought in the back of my mind, and it's something that I've thought about in depth and prepared for. It's Absolutely. not it's not something I'm expecting to happen. Right. But it's something I recognize that could. Yeah. I think that's recent too, because so yeah. I went to Arapaho High School, um, and I felt safe in school mm -hmm. up until December twelfth, twenty thirteen. And then on December thirteenth, twenty thirteen, absolutely everything changed. Mm -hmm. Um, Arapaho High School is a predominantly white school in a fairly wealthy neighborhood. It is not the typical place where you would anticipate gun violence right and i don't think any of us did and so to the point where the shooter was targeted he was making verbal death threats 
but nobody really did anything about it because nothing like that would ever happen Mm -hmm. not here and i think that that has changed in the last four to five years where it's become increasingly even more common where now I don't think there's anyone saying, oh, it's not going to happen at this school. It's not going to happen to me. I think everyone is aware now that it very well could happen anywhere at any time. And it's a culture of fear and it's not conducive to learning and it's not conducive to mental health and it's not conducive to a productive society. You know, you know what? uh, When it became real for me is uh, I was I was working with first graders last year as a teacher's aide. Yeah. Uh, and we did uh, uh, one of our lockdown drills, and uh, as we were getting the students settled, getting them, you know, you know, safe, silent, out of sight, that whole routine, I could hear them mumbling, you know, murmuring amongst themselves. And I heard one of my students say, "Why are we doing this again?" And another one uh, said, "You know, just in case someone comes in and tries to hurt us." And this is a first grader. And this is a first grader. This is a six and seven year old. And the fact that a child, a six and seven year old has to reconcile and even the fact that that comes across their mind and it's something that they know is a possibility that's when it really started to hit home and i remember sitting there and thinking about if if someone came in i remember thinking all right here's what i'll do and it wasn't again it wasn't like you know your mind wandering off in the middle of the day it was a genuine it was like nope if someone comes in here's what i'll do i'll run to the door and i'll you know and the fact that I actually, that's when it became real is the fact that I heard the kids worrying about it and the fact that it was something that it wasn't just some hypothetical little situation. It was something that I decided that I said, I was like, this is what I'll do in the event someone comes in and tries to hurt my kids. Yeah. That's when I knew it was a problem. That's when I knew that something had to be done. Gosh. April 20th marks the anniversary of the first mass school shooting at Columbine High in Jefferson County. At the Denver March for Our Lives, the planners recall this and the memory of other Colorado incidents as well. My name's Allison Olson. I'm a recent Arapahoe graduate. I graduated in the class of uh, 2016. Um, And on December 13th of 2013, on a cold Colorado afternoon, Carl Pearson entered Arapahoe High School and shot and killed Claire Davis and then himself. At the time, I was 15 years old, sitting in my English class preparing a speech for the next week that I would never end up giving. It was then when I and several hundred other students heard those gunshots ring out throughout our hallways. Terrified, but unfortunately not naive, we filed to the back of the classroom, huddling, praying, crying, and fearing that we weren't gonna make it out of this alive. But we were lucky. Only two students were unable to go home that night. And for that, I'm forced to consider myself lucky. In the next following weeks, I would attend vigils, memorials, and funerals, prayer circles along with police interviews, group therapy, and a new first day back at school where I would have to come to terms with the fact that I would no longer feel safe. But here's the thing. There's nothing unique about my story. Um, It isn't very different from the stories of those kids who we see each and every day on the news. Far too many kids like me are hiding in the back of their classrooms, praying, crying, and hoping that they'll make it out of there alive. Far too many kids like me are attending vigils, funerals, and memorials for their dead friends. Far too many kids like me are facing the reality that they are no longer in a safe that they should feel at home. Far too many students are living in communities who say, we never thought it would happen to us. But we've all had enough. We will no longer say that we didn't think this could happen to us because we will do everything in our power to ensure it won't happen to us. Because at the end of the day, there are far too many kids like me. But it ends with me and it ends with all of you. Championing a single solution is not the approach of Never Again Colorado. Their strategy is to incorporate all options, including mental health support, to meaningful legislation. At the end of the day, we we want to and we should reform the gun laws. You know, we want to stop these people who feel like they've been pushed to the brink 
these people who are unstable, these people who feel like they have nowhere to turn from being able to obtain a gun. But if we can stop someone from ever getting to that point in the first place, yeah, that's that's the golden scenario right there. I mean, it'd be fantastic if we could uh, have a world where people don't feel like they have to resort to that level of a uh, of you know desperation. Uh, so better counseling is something we've we've looked at. We were we were certainly disappointed earlier in this year when uh, there was a bill that came up in committee in the Colorado Senate that would have bolstered uh, suicide prevention counseling uh, in public schools. And uh, that was unfortunately killed in committee. Uh, and we were very upset by that, but nonetheless, we'll be, we'll be making the push for more pieces of legislation like that in the future moving forward here. Is that one of the, the red flag uh, pieces of legislation you want to see that you're calling it? Certainly. Well, red flag is certainly, a, uh, that, that's a separate piece of legislation. That's, uh, that's something we'd okay. like to see. But yeah, a red flag would be fantastic because that's something right there that, uh, uh, that's a law that had been in place in Florida that could have prevented Parkland uh, from uh, from from occurring. And many other mass shootings as yeah. well. Washington Navy Yard shooting that took place here. In fact, even uh, the shooting of the Douglas County um, uh, officer here yeah. in Colorado, uh, had we had a red flag red flag law in place, uh, we we perhaps uh, could have prevented that. Um, uh, death from occurring as well. So. And so, and so, um, Andres, you're using red flag as as a term to identify something that needs to be done about before anything else occurs. If I'm following you correctly, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's more about making sure that we're able to catch um, certain alarming aspects yeah. from turning into um, violent. Products and mm -hmm. actually, Evan knows more about um, the actual logistics of the bill itself. I guess well, what it, what it boils down to is uh, what we're wanting to see is if we had a bill in place, uh, it would look like if if an officer of the law or a family member believes that a person is dangerous or at risk of uh, committing some sort of act of violence, yeah. uh, they could uh, go to a judge. And uh, ask for an extreme uh, a civil court to issue an extreme risk protection order, okay. and a judge would hear an argument, hear the hearing, hear you know there would be a hearing that would take place for this individual. Due process would be retained, uh, and all that great stuff. And at the end of the day, if a judge determined that this person was at risk or dangerous, they would issue a temporary restraining order that would prevent them from uh, owning or purchasing firearms for a temporary. Uh, period of time. And that's in the legislature now, or you, you have somebody carrying the bill, you want to try to get it through this oh, yeah. session before the middle of May? Yeah, we're, we're pushing for it. We're certainly pushing for it. And I think we're making a lot of progress, but uh, uh, we're, 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 we're calling on lawmakers. In fact, uh, we, uh, we're, we're sending off letters to uh, all, the le all the legislators uh, at the end of the day today, asking them to introduce this bill. Uh, we don't care who introduces it. We don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Uh, this is a nonpartisan issue. Yeah, yeah, if you, yeah. yeah, if you value student safety and if you want to, you know, protect the lives of the kids here in Colorado, then, you know, then introduce the bill. That's that's all we say. Some of the regulation that you were talking about when it comes to firearms, raising the purchasing age. That's something that's been circulated to probably more with adults than you guys there. Do you think that would be effective? You know, I think it's uh, it's certainly an interesting um proposal for us at never again our big thing is uh we uh we want any solution that can be based in facts you know mm -hmm. peer-reviewed studies yeah. any sort of expert opinion um and you know uh it's not one in particular particular that we've had the time to look at in yeah, depth sure. but if it's got the expert opinions to back it up and if it's got you know facts or statistics along with it that you know and there's the the people higher up are saying like this is something that can help I think it's something that we certainly need to consider. I know in New York State they have the requirement anybody purchasing a firearm legally has to have an interview with a police officer, and that's mm -hmm. brought down the number of uh, shootings there. It's that's something you all might take a look at here at some point, to that could be offered in Colorado as well. That's something that I could see, and um, I think based upon what Never Again is reaching for, um, it, it goes along with the prevention. The prevention aspect of, you know, especially like talking about mental health, of making sure that anybody, nobody's pushed to that edge, much the same way. Um, I think that that sounds like an excellent idea about, you know, meeting with the police officer. And these are officials that deal with um, crime, hard crime on a fairly regular basis. And so I would trust their judgment in terms of 
um, you know, especially if there's a long systematic process that exists to kind of make sure that this is something that if they deem somebody for a reasonable logical reason not mm-hmm. not uh, appropriate to own a firearm or not yeah, to at least yeah. to be able to have access to them, I think that would be a reasonable solution. Right, right. Absolutely. When it comes to specific legislation, uh-huh. I think we're not ruling anything out. Right now we're focusing our energies on this red flag bill, but when it comes to common sense gun reform, we're willing to look at and consider all of our options. Mm-hmm. Anything Anything is better than nothing. We have to start somewhere. So we're definitely willing to look at and consider any option. And that plays to the fact that this as a as an issue, you know, um, gun violence in America. It's really easy to pick sides in terms of those who want gun reform and those Uh who don't. Yeah, it's not that simple because this issue is not that simple. Um, If you want a sensible, comprehensive solution to this very complex problem you can't just focus on one or two or you know maybe half a dozen pieces of legislation across the country you need to look at um the culture the socioeconomic environment um the way that people view and think of firearms and um and the kind of thought that we have around that as a country and come to a consensus and come to a solution because um just picking up you know, bits and pieces of legislation yeah. that'll band-aid the issue that certainly will not solve it for the amount of time that we would want, sure. uh, which is hopefully having be able to look back, you know, and talk to our children and our grandchildren about, you know, you get to be raised in a world where you don't have to worry about being shot in school or mm-hmm. being shot at a theater or being shot at all. I mean, yeah, that's it at the end of the day. I want what what we want, and I think what everybody wants is, is I want uh, students to feel safe in their own schools. Uh, you know, when did America become a place where, where kids were afraid to go to school? I, we see reports of kids who, who get stressed out and uh, start to have panic attacks when the fire alarm goes off uh, on a regular school day. One of the potential school safety solutions being nationally debated is that of training armed educators. The idea, though, is lukewarm for Never Again Colorado. I, I find it going to slight tangent, but this does. Yeah, yeah go. We live in a country where we barely pay our teachers a working wage. Um, teachers have a certain number of copies they're allowed to, and if they go over that, they have to ask permission from a from a fellow adult. These are these are people who you know they're anywhere from twenty five to you know forty, fifty, sixty years old. Uh-huh. I had a teacher who she's been teaching now. Uh, next year we'll be teaching forty years, and she has to ask permission to make copies. And you don't pay her a working salary, and yet you're going to give her a gun and make her basically cannon fodder in the event that somebody co- tries to come in and hurt myself, um, any of my teachers, my fellow classmates. And yet, to me, it's it, it proves this cognitive dissonance of we refuse to look at the actual issue. We're, we're trying to, to mend and deal with all of the... The, um, sint- the symptoms, but mm-hmm. we won't deal with the issue. And so I find, not only do I find trying to arm teachers and bolster up school security um, alarming, but I find it a little um, disheartening that that's, you're not going to put any higher thought into that as, well, we'll just fix the schools. That'll fix the issue. That'll fix gun violence. Yeah. What about the kids who, you know, they walk their streets, they are walking to work, they're on the bus, and they have to worry about being shot. Not not in school. There's just gun violence in general. Mm-hmm. There are entire communities across this country that it doesn't matter whether they're at school, at home, at church, in a theater, um, going, getting popcorn, picking their baby brother or sister up from daycare. They, at any moment of the day, on any day in the year, can be shot just for being around. Arming teachers, there's ahead, just China. so many hundreds of ways that arming teachers can go wrong. <laughs> like, just to list a few. So what happens when a law enforcement enters the school and they see multiple people with weapons? How do they know who's the shooter and who's the teacher? How do they know what's going on? Um, the vast majority of teachers in America are incredible and caring. There are certainly those teachers that would abuse this. And I think it's likely that the children that would be affected by that would most likely be children of color. Um, so you're expecting a teacher. What if the student with what if the shooter was a student of the teachers? You're expecting a teacher who is essentially for many students, a step in parent, a step in counselor. Absolutely. You're expecting them 
to shoot their student. It's there are so many ways yeah. that it can go wrong and that it does not make it's, any sense. You know, I I think uh, you know people talk about school security and they talk about installing bulletproof windows and I think that's uh, you know I think that's sure that's something we can absolutely look at uh, if it saves lives. Sure, but at the end of the day, that's a that's a bucket placed under a leaky roof. That's not going to stop it. And on on the topic of arming teachers, I uh, my uh, my mother she works in education. She was telling me she was mm -hmm. talking with a teacher, um, and she told me you know on a on a personal level. This teacher told her, she said, you know, I will throw my body in front of my students to protect them. Uh, I value their lives like none other. But to ask me to shoot a child, especially if that child happens to be one of my former students, yeah, I couldn't do that. It, it goes against the nature of, of the good teachers in this country. The good teachers, all teachers want their students to succeed, regardless of their background. The ones who are in the back, you know, in the back of the pack and the ones who are in the front of the pack, you want them to succeed and to have to put an end to their life would go against like the very, just the, the nature of a teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, we can't ask them to do that. You know, our public, public defenders go through years and years of meticulous training uh, before yeah. they get their guns. They're trained to handle those situations and they enter their job knowing that there's a likelihood that they might have to take a life or that they might have to lose theirs. Teachers don't have to do that, and they shouldn't. You know? Absolutely. And yeah. you were saying, you know, your your teacher said that she would throw her life in front of any of her students. My mom's a teacher, and I believe that she would do that, and I believe that I've had teachers that would do that for me. But why should that be necessary? Mm -hmm. When did becoming a teacher become signing up to be a martyr and a human shield? A number of adults across America opposed to the March for Our Lives and its leadership have been intentionally mischaracterizing these youth and the motivation for their movement for change. A criticism that has constantly surfaced is that they have no understanding of the Constitution's Second Amendment, which states a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If you read the Second Amendment, the first three words are a well-regulated. <laughs> That's right. It's literally the mm -hmm. first three words of the Second yeah. Amendment. I'm... Everyone talks about the second half, but they don't acknowledge the first half of the Second Amendment. <laughs> also, one of the most conservative justices to ever exist on the Supreme Court, Antonin Scalia, said in one of his rulings that the Second Amendment right, just like any other right, is not unlimited. That's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we're, uh, we say that, you know, this, is, this isn't a partisan issue. It's an American issue. We value the Constitution. Uh, in fact, I think that's evident by uh, the protests you saw. I think uh, we, we indulge in the Constitution like any other. We indulge in, a, in yeah. our First yeah. Amendment right, uh, you know, peaceful protests. I carry a pocket constitution in my backpack. I do, as do I, actually. Yeah, I got the I same thing. I love the constitution. Several copies laying around my house. I'm an American history and political geek. I do not, yeah, I do not. I mean, at the end of the last thing I want to do is to violate your Second Amendment rights. But at the same time, every amendment has its limit. I can't go into a theater and yell fire. And claim that I'm indulging in my First Amendment right. Nope, that's a you're yeah. a danger to the public. That's dan yeah. Every yeah. law has some sort of um, of limit, and, yeah. and it's when it becomes Absolutely. a public safety issue. That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, far before you get to the Second Amendment, uh, the words you know to preserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are are, are written way, well before you get to the Second Amendment. So mm -hmm. Your right to own a firearm does not trump my right to live i think we as a people need to understand that you know nobody wants to take away anybody's guns it's preposterous constitution the second amendment right because as soon as as soon as one right is taken away there's no reason that they can't take away our right to protest our right to freedom of speech our right to be talking to you yeah. today right. um we value the protection of the second amendment and the protection of the constitution as a whole as much as anybody else but we also value lives and we're not going to play a game of semantics trying to 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 save my right to do anything over the life of another person um and we're just not going to play that game with other people my name is mark weaver i'm a victim of a the mass shooting and a survivor 
and a very strong supporter of this March for Our Lives and the Never Again movement. On July 20th, 2012, a mass shooting occurred inside a Century 16 movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. During a midnight screening of the film, The Dark Knight Rises, dressed in tactical clothing, the shooter set off tear gas grenades and shot into the audience with multiple firearms. 12 people were killed that day and 70 others were injured. 58 of them from gunfire, including myself, was shot in my right arm and through my leg. The mission and focus of March for Our Lives is to demand that a comprehensive and effective bill be immediately brought before Congress to address these gun issues. No special interest group, no political agenda is more critical than a timely passage of legislation to effectively address the gun violence issues that are rampant in our country today. Every kid in this country now goes to school wondering if this day might be their last. We live in fear. Let's not wait another day. If you are not with us, then you're on the wrong side of history. Enough is enough. The events, actions, and activities aside, our youth simply want us to hear and listen to them regarding this concern that we adults and officials have been too often skirting. First and foremost, the movement may be youth-led, but it's not youth-exclusive. If, uh, if you value the safety and the well-being of the public, of students, of everyday Americans, and you're fed up and tired of seeing these same events on the news, this is a movement for you. All we want is safe schools and safe, uh, safe public spaces. Shannon, you got a perspective on that as well? The one thing I would want people to take away? Yeah. I guess I would say that I want people to evaluate their values. Look at your children. Look at their fear. Look at their, this is affecting lives daily. You know, one of our speakers at the march, Connie Sanders, her father was killed in Columbine and she is a mental health professional. And one thing that I've heard her say multiple times at events is people have PTSD symptoms of gun violence just from living in this country. People who have not even personally experienced any gun violence are showing PTSD symptoms because this culture is so riddled with violence. This is affecting so many lives on such a daily basis, and it is not worth it. It's not worth it. Life is more important. Life is more precious, and we need to protect it. Andrews, you have the last word there. I, I would agree with, with Shannon in a sense of reevaluating um, not just personal values, but I think we as a culture need to understand. Um, and if I could send a message to adults and those who are um, doubtful of the youth's ability to get change done, it's not in your best interest nor in the longevity of your society, of our society, to doubt us or to try and stand in our way or to try and prevent us from seeking change that we deem necessary because this is still, this is your children's future. This is your grandchildren's future. This is the legacy that you will be leaving behind. And if you care about that in the slightest, please, this isn't a matter of debate. This isn't a matter of, of just trying to yell over one, one another. Like, this is a matter of coming together and having a conversation like adults, like actually coming together and caring enough to articulate positions and, and differences and similarities and finding common ground for the sake of our children, our grandchildren, and our country as a whole. At the end of the day, whether or not the adults and officials of today agree with or oppose their viewpoints of the direction of the country on how to achieve safer schools and community, these youth will eventually have the final say regarding the tomorrow they want. We grown-ups are on the aging out clock, period. Even if it's after we're gone and the obstruction to them is lessened, they will shape the America they want. Once upon a time in America, we had safe schools and a weapons-safe community. Many of our youth are intent on having such again. We thank Evan, Shannon, Andreas, and Tay of Never Again Colorado for their courage, time, and assistance for this edition. 
I'm Adam Morgan. Show me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. Show me what democracy looks like. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Well, very good Sunday morning to you. I'm Melissa Moore, Mile High Magazine. Thank you for joining us today. Great organization here in Colorado has a big fundraising event coming up. We're talking to Liz Grossi, who is the Colorado Development Manager for Share Our Strength. Thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning, everyone. Well, good morning to you. Tell me a little bit, first off, before we get uh, to the Chef's Upfront fundraising event you have coming up, tell me a little bit about what is Share Our Strength. Share Our Strength is a national nonprofit profit based in DC. We have a strong Colorado presence. I'm excited to share more about. So Cooking Matters is our signature program with Share Our Strength. The mission overall is to end childhood hunger and the Cooking Matters program teaches families how to shop for and prepare healthy meals on a budget as one way to end childhood hunger. As you and I were talking off the air, you said that a lot of people will be familiar with it and know it as No Child Hungry. Yeah, so our our biggest campaign is called No Kid Hungry, um, which we work a lot Alongside in Colorado, our flagship program and campaign here in the state of Colorado is called Cooking Matters. Okay. So that's really focused on the aspect of how to teach families to shop for and prepare healthy meals on a limited budget. And let's talk about the need here in Colorado for our share our strength because one in six children struggle with hunger. Is that correct? That's correct. One in six children struggle with hunger. That's about 250,000 children. It astounds me every time I say it out mm-hmm. loud. It's so easy. Um, for hunger to go as an invisible problem, but it's real, even in the state of Colorado. Well, and it definitely, from everything I've heard from teachers and other friends of mine, uh, it gets worse in the summer. It does. Yeah, because they don't have that built-in meal at school. And that's um, one of the things that I think is so exciting and innovative about the Cooking Matters program is we're working with the caregivers of young children. That's our priority audience, young children ages zero to five, in order to teach these caregivers how to stretch limited food budget no matter what time of year it Mm -hmm. is. So when I say limited, I'm talking on average $10 a day on federal food assistance. And we all know that doesn't change in the summertime. If not, like you said, it gets worse. And is that $10 a day per person? That's $10 a day for a family of four. So all of our meals and recipes that we teach in the Cooking Matters courses and tours, which you can volunteer for, so we'll talk about that a little later, all of those recipes are based on a $10 a day budget and basic cooking equipment. And so you've definitely got, I mean, you have to be smart with your food, smart with your money, Mm -hmm. and really be mindful of what you're making then. Yep. Mindful of what you're making, how you're spending it, and also the nutrition aspect of it. So I always like to think about in a grocery store, you know, it's easy to get tripped up looking at a price, which really doesn't tell you much unless you're looking at the unit price and figuring out how much am I actually getting for Mm -hmm. my money. Um, So that's the budget piece of things. There's also the nutrition labels and something um, that I think everyone could think about and learn from is the first ingredient on a label is going to be the the most ingredient in that in that recipe or in that meal. And so you want to pay attention to every ingredient on that list and make sure you you know what you're eating and what the nutrition label looks like. And we teach families how to how to better read nutrition labels is just one example. So for families who are on that limited budget, who are maybe getting some food assistance help, how do they find out about your program, Share Our Strength? Yeah, it's a great question. And cooking matters, I think, can be hard to find. If, if you're not already a participant or a volunteer or listening to the show today. So for a Cooking Matters participant, we work with agencies across the state. We have over 300 agency partners that are critical on this aspect, especially in recruiting participants for our program. So they know their communities best and we bring the Cooking Matters program to them through staff and volunteers. So we don't do anything at our office except host our new volunteer training. We do everything out in the communities in which we serve. So 55 is 64 counties and hundreds of agency partners. That is wonderful. So then you have a big community event. And obviously, if you're working with over 300 agencies, you let them know, hey, we're going to be in your community let people that you know that could benefit from this come? Is that kind of how it works? So Chefs Up Front, our gala raises money to keep these courses and tours, the Cooking Matters courses and tours, free to our participants and even the agency partners. It's optional if they want to donate to help cover the course fees. Mm-hmm. But Chefs Up Front, our signature culinary gala, helps us raise the money we need to offer this programming for free out in the community. Wonderful. All right. So let's talk about that because that is 
the big happening. That is your big charitable food event that is coming up here Sunday, May 6th at the Colorado Convention Center. It is called Chefs Up front. What is it? Chefs up front. So excited to talk to you about it. It's a very unique culinary gala. I'm sure people have been to galas or culinary events before. This one is so unique in the aspect of tableside dining. So we work with 30 different chefs, amazing chefs through this event, and each chef gets a table of 10. So a sponsor can request a chef, they get paired together, and each chef does their own four-course meal prepared tableside for their guests. So you're, it's like having a dining experience at a restaurant in the comfort of your 10-person group. That is wonderful. Yeah. How many years has this been going on? 18 years, so almost as long as the organization has been in Colorado. We've had amazing support raising money for it through Chefs Up Front. And how much are you hoping to raise this year? The target's 150000 okay. uh, If we raise more, that, that much better. We have an auction involved and lots of other aspects of um, fundraising. So $150,000 is our, is our target. And are there tickets still available? Yes. We have, I would say, five to ten tickets left. They're going, but we have them available, and we'd love to see you all there. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with Share Our Strength Colorado Development Manager, Liz Grossi. Big event coming up for Share Our Strength called Chefs Up Front. We're just talking about it. Once again, that is Sunday, May 6th. For people who want ticket information for this, where do they go? www.chefsupfrontco.com. That's the website specifically for Chefs Up Front. Okay. And tell me a little bit about some of the chefs that are going to be there this year. Yes, I could tell you about the chefs that are going to be there this year for way more time than I have um, (laughs) because there are 30. Just a couple highlights um, because I'm assuming some of your listeners know Top Chef was filmed in Colorado the most recent season. And we actually have two Top Chef contestants that will be participating in Chefs Up Front this year. Carrie Baird from Bardot is in our lineup as well as Brother Luck from 4 by Brother Luck out in Colorado Springs. So just two of 30 that we're really excited to have. Wonderful. And they'll be assigned a table, just like you were saying. Yes, yes. They have sponsors. They were in high demand, as you could imagine. So a lucky sponsor will get paired with them. Um, And I didn't even touch on the wine pairings on top of the actual chef pairings. Each of their four courses will have a wine sponsor attached to it and and custom paired wines as well after the opening reception. So like I said, I could talk for hours about it, but that's why we call it a culinary feat. Okay. So who is doing the wine pairings then? So we have four different wine sponsors, Esprit de Vin, Folio, Gallo, and Wine Cellars. So they're all suppliers here in the area that are generously donating wine and time to pair the wines with Mm -hmm. each of those four courses. Obviously, they're working with the chef then. Yep, they work directly with the restaurants. And then I I talk about four courses. I should add there's a fifth course done event-wide by D-Bar Denver. So there's also a dessert aspect that every guest gets to enjoy on top of that all. That is incredible. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, and once again, this is a big event coming up. It is the big fundraiser for Share Our Strength. It is called Chefs Up Front. Still some tickets available on the website again. www.chefsupfrontco.com. And how much are those tickets? The tickets are $500 a seat. So that includes access to the opening reception, eight different cocktails that will be present with mixologists behind the bars presenting those. We have oysters, charcuterie, small bites, just at the opening reception. That'll lead into the dining room portion we've been talking about with the four-course meal prepared table side by a chef of your choice. That is so wonderful. What are some of the things that you personally have heard from people that have learned um, um, going through your course and the cooking matters and and learning how to stretch those dollars further and cook healthy meals and read labels. What do some of the participants say about your program? Yeah, so participants tell us, and this is something we capture in an evaluation that we do for every course and every course participant. Participants tell us they're more confident in their ability to stretch limited food dollars. They're reading nutrition labels more often. They're looking at nutrition labels specifically, but also their consumption of whole grains, fruits and vegetables, dairy, you know, the healthy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So then specifically, we work, I mentioned before, we work with caregivers of young children ages zero to five, knowing they're the ones that are making food decisions for young, vulnerable children. We're teaching them how to create food 
culture for young kids and prepare meals with their kids, which, you know, anyone that has young kids or is around young kids know that can be tough um, mm-hmm. to do. So they're telling us, yes, I'm preparing meals more often and including the kids in that. I feel more confident in my ability. Um, so really a lot of it is about the confidence and the skill building mm-hmm. to teach people it is possible to to shop for and prepare healthy foods on a limited budget. And once again, Cooking Matters is the program that Share Our Strength does here in Colorado. Uh, what kind of skills? So they learn how to read labels. Yes. They they're giving uh, recipes. What about for somebody that comes in and they're like, I don't really know how to cook? Yes. So I am glad you asked because there's the shop for component and there's also the preparation component. So we start with basic knife skills because if you're not confident in your ability to hold a knife or you've never cut your own food before, it can be really scary to get started. So we we have all sorts of techniques that we share about the preparation aspect and it's very hands-on. So we're not talking about a course in a traditional teacher-student model. We're Mm -hmm. talking about community building. So we have volunteer and staff, chef instructors and nutrition instructors that are with sitting with the audience that they have small class of 12 to 15 people and getting them involved with the process. So reading a recipe, you know, something like reading the recipe all the way through before you jump in to make sure you know what all the steps are and reading the ingredients and making sure that if you're doubling it, you have everything you need to double and, you know, things like that that we don't always think about no matter how much we cook. Right, right. I was going to say, I had a mom who was a home ec teacher. Mm. So I grew up in the kitchen, but I have a lot of friends. That mm-hmm. really don't have the basic skills for cooking. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I could probably throw something together if I had to. So I'm sure there are a lot of people out there like that who feel a little intimidated by it and that your class, uh, Cooking Matters, your program helps them. It does. Yes. And it's I should add, it's traditionally over six weeks. Uh, the class comes together once a week for two hours. So it's also a chance to, to build confidence in that way as a community and as a small group so that over the course of those six weeks, we're getting together with the class, the same group of people and the same volunteers and saying, hey, how did it go at home last week? Did you try anything that you learned in class? We send take home groceries with them. So did you get a chance to go through that bag of groceries and practice that recipe at home? How did it go? Did you like it? Mm -hmm. What worked? What didn't? These kinds of questions. It's very interactive. And I was going to say, and what a great way to also build community. And Cooking Matters, that's your primary program. That's what your Chef's Up Front fundraiser is doing, is raising money for that. Where does that money go then? So you're raising $150,000, or that's the hope uh, for the Chefs Up Front fundraiser coming up. How is that money used? Yes, so I will will answer that in two different ways, one of which is in part to thank our core sponsors for the event. We get all of our food and alcohol donated, so the money we're raising really is going right back into the Cooking Matters program. So just to name a couple of our core sponsors, Seattle Fish Company does all of our seafood for the event. Cisco does, Cisco Denver offers all of our protein and produce and we work very closely with them and center plate at the Colorado Convention Center to make sure that we're keeping our expenses very low and therefore increasing the revenue that we're bringing in so to answer your question more directly the revenue that we're raising goes right back into the cooking matters program for things like food and travel which as you can imagine us being in 55 of 64 counties and bringing our program out into the community food and travel are big line items Mm -hmm. so that's primarily where the funds raise from chefs up front go. Well, obviously you've got a need, you know, thinking about cooking matters in all these different counties you were just saying that you cover. You've got a need for volunteers. We do. Okay. What can somebody who's interested, what kind of volunteer opportunities are there? Yes. And I will start by saying we could not do what we do without volunteers. We have about 600 across the state who are really at the heart of what we do. Anything from chef educators, nutrition educators are more skill-based roles that we do ask for previous experience in those sectors. But if you're just looking to get started and you don't have a culinary or nutrition background, you can jump in as a class assistant. And that's anything from helping shop for the ingredients that'll be used in class that week or put the ingredients into the bags that the participants get to take home Mm -hmm. at the end of class, the take-home groceries. So class assistants, if you know how to wash a dish or you're willing to learn, you can quickly get involved. We ask that all volunteers get volunteer trained prior to volunteering in a course or a tour. We offer those every two to three weeks at our office, primarily at our office downtown, Denver, 18th and Lincoln. Um, But the details of that, we'll talk about how to find them. But it's, it's, there's something for everyone is the short answer. I was just going to say, it sounds like somebody, if you've got a desire, 
you can find a spot for them. Totally. Uh, once again, we've been talking to Liz Grossi, who is the Colorado Development Manager for Share Our Strength. Your big benefit helps Colorado and helps Cooking Matters, which is the program here in Colorado. It's called Chefs Up Front. It is coming up May 6th at the Colorado Convention Center and tickets still available, very limited at this point. So you might want to jump on it. And what's the website again? For Chefs Up Front, that's www.chefsupfrontco.com. And for people who've been listening and say, yeah, I do want to get involved, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so the website for our programming, and you'll find information about our special events there as well, is co.cookingmatters.org. That's co.cookingmatters.org. On that website, you'll find a calendar link. It's right on the homepage. You press calendar and you'll be able to see when our upcoming new volunteer trainings are taking place. All right. Liz Grossi with Share Our Strength Colorado. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Melissa. I'm Melissa Moore. This is Mile High Magazine. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday morning. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine. A look at the issues and people shaping Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.